0: Welcome to App Talk with Uptick, where we dive into the nitty gritty of how to grow apps and games. We speak with industry experts about specific strategies tools, and tactics they use to find success and to keep you up to date with emerging news and trends in the ever-changing marketing ecosystem. We're doing something a bit different this week. We are rebroadcasting our Web3 and Future of Gaming webinar, which was recorded this afternoon. This panel dives into the impact Web3 is having on gaming with executives from leading companies in the space, including the Sandbox, Yield Guild Games, Stardust, and Arrivent. The panel is hosted by our very own Warren Woodward. So
1: without further
0: ado, let's dive in.
2: Welcome, welcome, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome. We'll try to keep it pretty tight to the hour today, uh, respecting everyone's schedules. So uh, for a little intro for everyone joining today, um, so why are we doing this? So uh, Web3 and the related technologies are bringing what we consider to be a new era in gaming. And uh, we're currently witnessing what is probably the first meaningful wide-scale implementations of blockchain tech in games. So. Uh, we find this very controversial topic right now. So whether you love the space, whether you hate it, or if you're just confused by it, we can probably all agree, it's very important to understand the implications of what's shifting currently. So today we're gonna be breaking this down into three segments that we're gonna be exploring. First, we're gonna discuss the current state of the industry. Next, we're gonna discuss blockchain's impact on game development. And lastly, we're going to discuss the uh, process of discovery and adoption for these games. And we're very honored today to be joined by four uh, true leaders in the space with uh, very different perspectives and functions with their companies. So to introduce our panelists today, uh, we have joining us uh, Sebastian Bourget. He is the co-founder and COO of The Sandbox, uh, a virtual world where players can build, own, and monetize their gaming experiences. Sebastian also became the president of the Blockchain Gaming Alliance in 2020, a nonprofit organization of 250 key members of the industry. He was recently named in the Top 100 Most Influential People in Crypto by Cointelegraph. Uh, Next up, we have Gabby Dazon. Uh, Gabby is an entrepreneur and 15-year veteran of the game industry in Southeast Asia. He is CEO of Altitude Games, chairman of Alto.io, and a founding member of the Game Developers Association of the Philippines. He is also the co-founder of Yield Guild Games, uh, aka YGG, which is a play-to-earn gaming guild. YGG invests in yield producing NFTs and games in virtual worlds, and its player community from around the world can earn income from playing these games. Next up, we have Atif Khan, the COO at Stardust. Uh, He is a ex-Facebook gaming executive and angel investor. Stardust is a software platform that enables game developers to build in the metaverse, including an easy graphical platform to build, manage, and implement NFTs in games. And then lastly, we have uh, Cedric Gemlin, CEO and co-founder of Arrivance, a game publisher powering the future of human connection and play and earn co- economies. Cedric has built award-winning VR, MR, and XR experiences throughout his work. Cedric has realized the automation was quickly replacing skilled his skilled human colleagues. This triggered his vision to build a transreal gaming platform where AI doesn't take away your jobs or our sense of purpose. And then uh, I will be your host today. My name is Warren Woodward. I am the co-founder and chief growth officer at Uptick. Uh, At Uptick, we make marketing automation solutions, and we provide a full-stack growth marketing team for mobile and Web3 games. Uh, Some of our clients include BitLife and our newest partner, uh, Axie Infinity, and the Sky Mavis team. Okay, so going into our topics today, we want to start with just discussing the state of the industry. So uh, we'll start with Gabby here. Uh, Gabby, how would you just characterize the current state of blockchain gaming, and what are some of the best examples of companies and products that you see thriving in the space at the moment?
3: We're in a time of really uh, great experimentation and innovation in the blockchain game industry. So I would say that the the space started in earnest around 2018, Um, and there weren't a lot of uh, of examples then, but uh, when Axie Infinity broke out last year, then you've seen a lot of really experienced developers uh, seeing the potential of the space and starting to build uh, incredible products. We see a lot of them because we we invest in a lot of these games and the uh, NFT assets that are coming out. So apart from Axie, we're invested in Sandbox as well, uh, which is really coming out full force this year. And uh, we're seeing just a lot of talent trying different genres, business models, tokenomics models. So I would compare it to the early days of uh, mobile and social, like late 2000s, around 2010, where there wasn't any clear winners and there weren't any kind of really set patterns yet that would win the industry. So that's where I think we are. There's also the rise of the guild model uh, of which we started at YGG. Where you have blockchain gaming guilds that are basically investing in assets in these different game economies and uh, bringing players to uh, to these games uh, players that can uh, earn some kind of income so, This is like the guild in World of Warcraft, but externalized with its own uh, bank account and basically bringing players into these games. So it's a very different type of user acquisition that hasn't really been seen before. And I think this is going to change how games are made and distributed in a big way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a completely different kind of economy that I think no one in gaming would have uh, pictured years ago. Uh, Cedric, I'd love to go to you next for your thoughts here as far as the current state of the blockchain gaming industry and any projects that you uh, are watching particularly. And you are muted, Cedric. Thank you. One
1: of the interesting things is just thinking about pay-to-earn, uh, the market cap has grown 6,000% since January of last year. And just if you think about the 10 the 10 top companies in in the... Ecosystem, they're totaling about $17 billion. And the interesting thing though, is that if you think about it, a large part of what fuels the, the economies and why they're successful is because players, it, it's the ability for players to flex their assets to one another. And if you think about it, the social aspect for play to run gaming is largely untapped. And so I think we're very, at the beginning, we're barely scratching the surface because we nailed the, the transaction part, the transaction aspect. But the next era is thinking about who are we transacting with and what does it do for social identity? And so to me, the future of, of playturn is like so big that it's unfathomable because the social aspect is still very at its infancy. And so it's really great to see like, for example, uh, YGG and, and what Gabby is doing because, they're building a social layer. They're ad- adding a social layer to games who might not have it. And they're extremely successful. And this is a clue that social aspect of Playtrend gaming is going to be huge in the future.
2: Thank you for that. Uh, next, I'd like to go to something that's come up uh, a lot for me in my conversations with friends that are either gamers or work in the games industry, which is the this current stigma um, against Uh, all things NFT and blockchain in gaming. Um, I'd love to get some of our panelists' thoughts on on where the stigma comes from and what it's going to actually take to evolve past some of the disdain in mainstream gaming for all things NFT and blockchain. Um, Atif, I'd love to go to you first here for your thoughts on this.
0: Yeah, you know, I think um, a point that Gabby made about where the this current uh, industry is—if you look back to that free-to-play, you know, late 2010 or early 2010, you know, it was a very similar sentiment in the market, right? That uh, free-to-play gaming is a scam and it's uh, arbitrage and it's not something that's a great user experience. And so, you know, there's historical context here from the previous kind of gaming revolution in terms of people's thought processes. And I think part of it is, is justified, right? Like if you look at the nature of the market currently, part of it is speculative. And so I think for the uh, blockchain gaming space to take the next level for um, you know traditional gamers is kind of has to do two things, right? One, which is the most important thing is, is increase the addressable audience in gaming, right? That's what mobile did, that's what PC did, that's what console did before that. And so how can you open this up to more people to bring them into gaming? And then the most important thing is is it's a game. How do you build an experience that drives utility to the users in that game? And I think the reason that you haven't seen that is there's just not a lot of games that are out there live outside of Axie. And now I think in 2022, as you see more games go live and people actually see really great user experiences, you'll start to see that narrative turn a little bit. And I think it's just always, it's a new thing. And the easiest thing, if you don't understand it, is to hate it, right? And so I think that's part of it. And the other part of it is the speculative
3: nature of kind of where we are with the market. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I'd like to add something there. If you look at the key innovations that have happened over the last two decades, there have been new pieces of technology that have enabled new forms of gameplay. I also hear a lot about, you know, blockchain being a solution in search of the problem, but What these new pieces of technology do is basically allow for new gameplay elements that haven't existed before. It was the database that allowed for multiplayer gaming and certainly gave rise to MMOs. It was um, uh, mobile phones that gave rise to the whole mobile and especially mobile free-to-play. And now with blockchain and NFTs, you have uh, basically player-owned assets in a global database that anyone can read. And this is a this is a new mechanic that uh, I think people are just still figuring out how to tap into, into different types of play, especially assets that can be f- freely uh, traded with, uh, uh, for, by, with players for each other. So this means that any asset in the game can, can basically have a marketplace aspect that is kind of built yeah. in. And yeah, this is very, I think this is very exciting and presents a lot of new uh, possibilities.
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that. I, uh, a game that I've played a lot in my life is uh, Magic Arena. And I was watching a YouTuber recently that was complaining about the economy, was complaining about the uh, inability to trade their cards or to gain any value from these extra cards they had. And the whole thing was this rant against uh, the economy. And at the very end, they said, but whatever you do, don't put NFTs in the game to the company. And it's like, you you literally describe the, the situation that could be solved by this and then, uh, but you there's all this disdain for the solution um Sebastian I, w- I would love your thoughts here as well as far as your thoughts on the, the current stigma and what may uh move move
4: the industry past that well, i think like we're we're past beyond the rational on this stigma like it's really a love aid kind of approach but overall we're seeing and happy to see that um we're seeing like a greater shift towards like developers Adopting the technology, not just for like the financial nature of it, but for the right reason, like because it's actually empowering the players first. It's helping to design new games with this mindset of community driven first, like the video game industry has been almost stalling for 25 years in terms of innovation. Like it was in search of like VR and AR to try to make new immersive experiences. That didn't took off and that and many people are still looking for what will be the killer um, app for that uh, the mobile free to play it's it's a market where like a top-grossing agent hasn't been moving for such a long time so mm-hmm. we we know that gaming is this huge entertainment it's the biggest um, industry above uh, movie about uh, above music combined and yet it's only reaching to 2.5 billion players and it's not really topping beyond. While there is a technology that has been like I think the greatest driver of innovation and experimentation for the past four years and has already shown back on the promise of like empowering new kind of users that we can enlarge the market toward the 10 billion gamers differently. It's been enabling like access to new opportunities for large gaming markets that were up to now largely ignored in the free-to-play economies like India, Indonesia, Thailand, Philippines, etc. But going beyond, it's actually also being, and, and, and we're seeing that with Sandbox, like we're seeing like top tier countries, Korea, US, Canada, Europe, Hong Kong, um, Japan, also now moving deeply into that. Like the power of network effect with community-driven uh, based games and games player-owned economy, It's just hard to beat and well there will be always friction but i think overall once you you're in it's impossible to go back it's like not being able to sell anything in the real world on which ground has it been established just the lack of technology for it
2: i'm skimming the questions here Uh, thank you everyone putting in a question some of these questions are product specific for some of the products that our panelists work, uh, their companies do. We probably won't be addressing those as much. Um, I am going to bring in a question here, uh, I'm saying your name right, from Ronan Mense. Uh It ties into the next topic, which we want to touch on the role of, of mobile. So Ronan's question is, will sustainability of Web3 games depend on a mobile experience and more cross-platform? How do you see a mobile app playing a role here? And just to expand on that a little bit, little bit more, um, And I'd love to get uh, some thoughts on, yeah, the the role that mobile is going to play in this ecosystem with, um, I think, specifically what's interesting, and and Ata, you you referred this earlier, is just like the massive uh, install base of of mobile and and what is the role of that platform relative to Web3 gaming. Um, Why don't we go to Gabby here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect.
3: Yeah, so. Outside of the North America and probably like the typical, like high-end Western markets in uh, in Western Europe, uh, we're seeing maybe 98% of our player base uh, in mobile. So I think it's incredibly important. Um, we're seeing like uh, a move in- Uh, where a lot of the game developers don't necessarily feel the need to be in the app stores. Maybe they're starting with a web-based experience or maybe they have an app store-based experience that doesn't touch crypto and then the the crypto and wallet parts are are in a web-based experience. So I think actually we'll see the rise more of uh, web-based games which have been around for a long time but have suffered from discovery and monetization issues crypto fixes those monetization issues and discovery as well, because it enables the network effects of communities that you didn't see in free-to-play. So uh, so I see mobile being the dominant, uh, um, the dominant platform uh, in the future. Of course, not the only one, there'll be more high-end experiences that will be uh, built for PC and maybe console, but yeah, I think it'll be mobile-driven.
2: Tiff, do you have uh, any thoughts you'd like to share here?
3: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I completely agree
0: with Gabby. I think like the what we're seeing at Stardust is that um, you know a lot of the developers are are mobile first, right? And so, um, how can you build uh, those types of the, the audience is really large, right? And so, if you can find a way to onboard uh, users uh, through some sort of a, a wallet system, you know, and you add the the paid search plus the community side that you have with blockchain, you know, the opportunity to to Scale uh, a mobile game is 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 much much more significant than it was even in the free to play side, and so I think that'll be interesting. I think. The interesting opportunity, obviously, with Steam um, getting rid of NFT games is like what happens on PC. Uh, I think Gabby's right. There's a lot of really rich, immersive experiences that are going to take a few years to build. And people are really investing a lot of uh, their resources into game design and tokenomics for those types of games. You know, where do those start to live longer term? Do we see, you know, a a Web 3.0 Steam version? Do each of these marketplaces build out their own launchers? Like, how does that take place? Uh, Sebastian, it feels
4: like you have a thought there. Yeah, yeah. maybe what I like is like on PC, it's pretty simple. Like you can build your own distribution channel. You're not necessarily depending only on Steam, Epic Store and other. And that's why. You can build it on the web, you can ship it five or with a client, with your own launcher. There are web-free uh, like, platform like Ultra, for example, as an alternative to Steam. But I think that the mobile platform is a more complex challenge because it's largely dominated and it's a locked market where there's only two large dominant players. And both of them at the moment are locking access towards uh, NFT-based and token-based kind of games. They have even pulled, even more recently, most of the apps that even try to. However, and I think that could be game changer, I'm expecting, and it's just my personal opinion, but I'm expecting by this year, if enough users move, make the demand for that, one of them will move and accept NFT. And if one of them does, then like, the other will have no other choice than not to adopt it as well. Yep. Yeah. That could I, be
3: yeah, my
4: I, 2022 prediction. Let's see. Yeah. I think it's a lot of money for those platforms to ignore, right?
0: Uh, and the potential that, that, the, that the gaming industry kind of drives it, especially for, you know, you know, Apple, the app store has now become a significant part of their growth story. Uh, you know, you see how aggressive they've gotten even on the advertising side. And so, it, you know, it feels like uh, that's something they should look into seriously.
2: Yeah, great. Um, let's move on. I'd like to dig uh, more heavily into um, blockchain's impact on actual uh, game design. Um, In in a similar theme, I want to address some of the um, negative uh, perceptions in this space. So uh, sometimes when I speak about this topic online, uh, I tend to get blowback from from traditional game developers, and a common critique that I hear is that blockchain is a solution in search of a problem. Um, I'd like the panelists' thoughts on this specifically Is there an example that you would like to give the greater gaming community of what you think is a particularly unique or exciting implementation uh, of this technology in a way that actually evolves or changes game design? And uh, Cedric, maybe you can start with you here.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's super interesting to, I think it's fair to have a lot of skepticism from gamers and game companies about NFTs. And one of the reasons is you're seeing a lot of big incumbents coming in the space and basically what they're creating with NFTs is microtransactions 2.0, especially knowing that microtransactions 1.0 were already very disliked. And and the thing to think about here is that NFTs are a new medium. It has a new language. It's not like if you're trying to take what happened, what worked in the past into this new medium it's just not going to work. And that's what people are seeing right now. And so, I think that the idea with NFTs is you're you're designing opportunities, new opportunities for players to transact with each other. And so it's moving away from market transaction. But the other thing that you're seeing and that you are going to see more and more with NFTs is that it's a medium for trans, not just a medium for transacting transacting money, but a medium for transacting experience. And so like, I'm going to give you a, a very small example. So like in our company, we launched an NFT and basically was the free airdrop that we sent to all our users called the of area. And you you get it for free in your wallet. And the idea is that it's a dynamic NFT. Every week, it transforms into something new. And the cool thing here is that we give the power to the user to decide if they want to lock this NFT or not each week. If they lock it, then it's not going to transform again. If they don't lock it, it will never... Come back to that transformation that they missed, and so what it creates is that you have two day in two days in the week where everybody comes together in the Discord, and they converse, and it creates conversation, and it creates engagement where people are making a decision together, and so the idea here is that NFTs enable a new kind of, of game design, especially for for here because you go you're going from a top down developer to fine experience to basically a grassroots fan to fan experience
2: and i think that's one of the things that nfts are really great at doing thank you cedric sebastian i'd love to go to you next for examples of um, innovation or unique game design that can be uh, accommodated with blockchain
4: cedric was really touching on, on the first point like um the fact that, well, game developer will monetize more by encouraging the user to actually exchange more of the NFTs. That's one way, that's the most simplistic way. The other way is actually to create more value for the existing NFTs to create more demand while also making reducing the supply. So in a way, adding mechanics around staking or adding mechanics that makes the holder of those NFT find those so valuable for their gameplay that they are less likely to sell those items and hence they keep growing in value. So it's a new way of of balancing limited supply items, which is in opposition with like this inflation of supply in live ops and content treadmill that the previous gaming industry has been uh, using too. Also, I tend to think like um, very original game design rules now around like example, like Wolf game or loot game, where you just provide like key components, almost like Lego bricks of gameplay. And then you let through composability, older developers use those uh, elements and create their own game rules to them. It's really interesting. It, it's been given a rise to like very innovative gameplays. And, and then I would say maybe the, the third point on that question is like, uh, how do you optimize your NFTs and your gameplay rules so that you actually make your game like a great um, yield generator for the guild? You make your game attractive so that DAOs and guild will want to play your game to leverage, collect resource, and then uh, like share those resources among their community of users. That's uh, that's also important to take into account because the guild and the DAOs, they are the new... Uh, user acquisition strategy today. Marketplaces on OpenSea, and DAOs concentrate all the distribution and the discovery of games on, on the Web three side. Yeah, yeah. I'd like
2: to give uh, a, an example of something cool that I've seen in one of the games that I play. Um, there's a game called uh, Crypto Raiders. It's like a it's it's like a eight bit dungeon crawling game, and they did something really unique with. Um, the soundtrack for the game that I, it's hard to imagine happening in traditional gaming. So they went to the community and they said, hey, we need a soundtrack for our game. Everyone's invited to write songs. Um, a bunch of the community members composed songs. They had voting on chain for which were the best songs. Um, they then auctioned the winning songs as uh, NFTs to, this is a very community funded game. So this, they auctioned these to fund game development. The revenue was split via smart contract between the composer and the developer. Someone now owns the song NFT of a song that's in the game. Whenever this song plays in the game, the smart contract distributes a a split of the the in-game token, giving some to the person who owns the NFT, some to the game developer, and some to the original composer. And this is done in an automated way. Um, And this to me was just like a beautiful way to involve the community into the creation of the soundtrack and also to control the. the revenue tied to the music in the game. Cool. Uh, Next, I'd like to go a little bit into what this means for the actual underlying businesses making these games. So what does it actually mean for a company's business model when blockchain ownership, smart contract monetization, um, and these other factors that we're discussing uh, come into play for your company's revenue? and maybe Gabby, we can go to you here first, uh, you've been involved in a lot of different types of business so what's what's different about your underlying business due to these elements.
3: So I think the, the biggest uh, difference and especially as it relates to the business model of uh, free to play, is that you have to be a lot more community centric. So a lot of marketing in free-to-play is basically performance marketing, very algorithmic. And it's completely turned around where you have to serve the individual humans um, as communities in, uh, in play-to-earn NFT blockchain gaming. Um, and with uh, with a lot of the business models, you're moving from a kind of direct sales model where uh, you're selling things to people as IAP, for example, to letting players create the value in these games and virtual worlds, whether via like things like breeding or crafting or uh, doing work inside the game that can earn them tokens. And then letting the players trade these with each other with uh, with uh, with a company uh, underneath it, basically orchestrating the economy and taking a cut out of value. So I liken it to the time when Amazon, uh, shifted its primary business model from selling books and other uh, items directly to being a marketplace where their uh, their margins were much, much, much smaller, but they facilitated so much more turnover and many more customers and basically supported small businesses, which became large businesses inside their game, uh, inside their uh, marketplace. So this is what you can do in their game. If you get people in the game that are breeding, crafting, playing... Um, doing uh, like esports, becoming streamers, and all getting a slice of the value pie, then you enable really long-term retention. We see a stat from Axie where I think their 30-day retention is something in the order of 40%. And their 90-day retention is the same as their 30-day retention because people are doing things that have value and that they trade that value with other players in the ecosystem. And that is the biggest uh, primary uh, consideration that you have in your business model.
2: Yeah, thank you, Gabby. Um, Cedric, I know for your team at Arrivant, you have uh, quite an eclectic um, set of backgrounds for the founders and leaders there. You, I know you have some people from the film industry, some from AAA traditional gaming, uh, yourself from the AR VR world. What have you found unique about building a blockchain gaming business versus these other industries?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to build on what Gabby is saying because mm-hmm. it's it's really fantastic. I think. If you think about traditional gaming, especially free-to-play, these these companies were operating from a place of fear, where the thought was, if we let our players cash out, they'll leave. And the the problem with this is players don't have skin in the game, and hence they have very low loyalty to a game. Now we're entering play-to-earn, right, where developers operate from a space of freedom if we let or players cash out, they'll want to stay and they'll want to spend more. And the interesting, the interesting thing here is that it also creates a, a place where players, since they have skin in the game, they're also much more respectful of the spaces that they are in, because and they care about the spaces that they are in. And so, like if you think about just like traditional uh, world example, where you think about renting people renting a house versus people owning a house. Renters of a house, we don't care about the house they're in because they're just renting, they have no ownership of it. And so the, the idea here is that all of your players right now they're owning parts of the house and they want it to work. Um and so the and, and Gabby's absolutely right, your your community is becoming a brand activator because basically we're we're all on the same boats and we want this boat
2: to succeed. Yeah, thank you, Cedric. Um, Sebastian, I, I'd love to go to you next. Um, you can speak on the overall business model if, if you like, but I'd also love for you to focus a little bit um, on the specifics of in-game uh, economics. So um, what are your thoughts on you know, the, the core differences between in, in, in on-chain economies versus traditional free-to-play economies? Um, and what, do you, what, do you, what does this actually mean for the overall effect on game monetization?
4: right well the way you uh, let, let's talk like a traditional uh, free to play economy mm-hmm. versus like a, uh, like a web free economy like usually in traditional free to play games like 1 to 3% of the user base will be monetizing free in-app purchases. We'll try to chase for the whale or run in-app marketing to try to convert those users to make their first purchase and with special promotion. Hey, this is the last time you're going to see this pack of content for 0.99 instead of 9.99. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity that you will never see again, except guess what? You keep seeing it all the time until you purchase and because we're using like a very data-driven approach. Like some users get it at 199, 299, et cetera. Like this is the biggest lie ever, in my opinion, to the face of users uh, and the lack of, the total lack of transparency that this industry is actually based upon. That's it. The rest of the model is around advertising. So we're going to serve ads to that 97% of user base that actually we're struggling to monetize ads Tends to suck. We don't like ads. Developers hate to implement ads through SDK as well. It's a suboptimal user experience. Yet, that's the best we found, and that's how we we stay with it. Even worse, like to serve ads, you actually have to collect data around users' preference, et cetera. So you're actually feeding the web to closed garden metaverse, so called metaverses by allowing them to collect data around their users so they can better target those. So you're actually giving up the user, allowing them to be uh, tracked, sell their data, etc., to advertiser. And yourself, you might even spend part of your revenue. So you give up 30% of your revenue to the store and then you spend 50-80% of your revenue again towards the store to acquire new users. At the end, you get very, very little. In Web3, the approach is the idea like you want to bring value mostly back to your users by initially selling, I would say, NFTs. And you want to monetize, not the primary sale, the maximum. You want to leave a lot of opportunity for the upside, for the asset to grow, because you want to monetize the royalties. It's a transaction fee that you're actually collecting every time a user is exchanging to another user the asset. So as the developer, when you work to grow, like the value of the asset by providing new gameplay, by um, offering like fun and engaging gameplay rules and your community grows and community grow, tend to grow faster when there's more value that gets distributed to them first, rather than being captured entirely by the developer, you actually collect that. And we've seen now, um, I've seen Infinity being the first, like the effect of royalties, but we've seen that also with OpenSea as marketplace, Like they have revenue, uh, I don't know how much it was, like $50 million, even more amounts based on like just the secondary royalty fees they collect over their million of users transacting every month. And I think it's a fair, uh, much more uh, fair and transparent way to monetize that benefit everyone in the value chain. And talking about our business model, it goes even um, further into the idea like we are into user-generated content. But that content, users contribute to most of the content of the game. The game's monetized, but the creators who contribute to the content, they get the latest part of the revenue, if no part of the revenue. That's that's even uh, worse. With Web3, creators get back 100% of the value they contribute to. And I think that's the most fair value proposition again. Yeah, thank you, Sebastian.
2: Um, also if I'd love to go to you next. I know you have um, a lot of background in the, the free-to-play space as well. Um, and that's where a lot of our team's background comes also. So probably a fair amount of the, the viewers today. How do you think people, if they're coming from the free-to-play space, are going to need to think differently if they're building a, a play-and-earn economy? What yeah. are the key differences and considerations?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Sebastian actually laid out the differences really well and actually kind of speaks to where the future of each goes. If if you look at free-to-play gaming, you know, when free-to-play gaming came out, if you look at it, what, what came out on Facebook, for example, it was social gaming. And then eventually, as Sebastian pointed out, it became uh, conversion funnel, right? How can you get from somebody to see an ad to basically purchase in a game? Yeah, and that actually stunted the overall innovation in free-to-play or social gaming, right? Like, you know, there was basically the same game every year for five years, just with a different skin. And I think, with in Web 3.0, if you take a look at what community has the potential to do, if you really create these um, open economies and you create a really flourishing community. A community is going to force innovation within not only that game but in that overall ecosystem. And so, I think as we look at game monetization and the changes that Sebastian talked about, it's actually super exciting because what you'll see is you'll ha- you'll see these games uh, have longer life cycles. You'll see them innovate faster, and and they'll innovate based on what the people in that community want. And there, that feedback loop is a lot more direct than in free to play mobile. You know, in free to play mobile, the feedback loop is. I'm done with this game, I'm deleting it from my phone. In this new web 3.0 community-based world, you actually are part of the community and you can voice how how that's gonna affect you. And so I think that paradigm, what Sebastian said is such an important piece of why it's so exciting to be in web 3.0 because there is a potential for that feedback loop to be a lot quicker and for these games to have longer life cycles that actually mean something to people even more than the utility or the financial gain that you get from an NFT, but the actual social impact that you get from being in the game.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Atif. Um, I see we have a question from Jonathan Chavez in the area of uh, acquisition, customer acquisition. That, that sigs nicely, and I think we'll cover your topic, Jonathan. Um, that's what we want to dig into here in the next section. We want to talk about adoption, uh, discovery, and uh, user acquisition. Um, And actually, maybe we'll start with you here again because this uh, Jonathan was asking about uh, platforms and some of the limitations here. Um, How do you expect some of these incumbent platforms to adapt to blockchain gaming I know we're starting to see some of the early moves from them, but you know some of these platforms like steam apple Google epic, um, what do you think are the moves we're going to see from them in the coming years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we, we talked about it. So I think Sebastian had is like a bold uh, prediction earlier in the in the webinar around one of the platforms uh, adopting it I think, listen, you know, this goes back to the point earlier. Um, we need more successful use cases at the end of the day, if we're driving really high quality experiences for users on these platforms, and there's dollars behind it like they're going to have to adapt. Um, but I could be totally wrong and we could get off this webinar and they could have the exact opposite news. But I think that is kind of like, uh, I think that's like at the end of the day, you know, you're going to follow where money goes. If you remember about like three or four years ago, there was this whole hyper casual thing, right? Apple was not happy about hyper casual, you know, the rewarded video, these low quality games. They found a way to make it work. They separated out the game section, still kept it uh, high-quality content, and found a way to make sure that the editorial was good. I think if the money is there, the user experience is there. I think if those things are found out, like I think it's hard for them to ignore um, where this is going.
2: Yeah, uh, Cedric, let's go back to you. What, what do you see as far as the moves from from the platforms themselves? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, what what uh, Sebastian and Atif are, are saying is is very interesting, and and to build on top of that, if we think about it the most successful companies today uh and the ones we're talking about right now they are customer centric they are their model is to listen to their audience and then to build something for them the premise is that it's very top down we're entering a new era where it's not enough to be consumer centric anymore right now it's about being a community activator um the idea is that you have a bottom-up model where you're building together a product with your audience. And because like, if you think about the precepts of blockchain and and NFTs, it's really about long-term member communities that are owning and operating the kind of institutions they wanna be part of. And so that's one of the reasons why it's very hard and it's gonna be very hard for the current incumbents to enter the space because they are not created bottom up as a grassroots entity they're not created with an initial community. And so, I mean, to, to take a step back on this, because the other side of the metal is, of course you have universal laws that can't be changed in games, otherwise it would destroy the experience for everybody else, right? But there are local laws that you can build with your community, that your community can shape with you. And I think that's really embracing both su- successful gaming experiences and the ability to bring the community with you together to build
2: successful games. Interesting. Thank you, Cédric. Um, Sebastian, do you have thoughts here uh, on
4: how you see the, the platforms themselves playing with the space? I, I think like both of them have been already looking and trying to reach. Several of the actors in this ecosystem already to get a better understanding of the possibility around it, and that's that's a good sign. At least it shows like they are open to look for implementation. I was a bit bold because I I think it's important sometimes to provoke the change, you know, and show like there's an industry that's really demanding. I hope that this will become this vision will become truthful at some point. Um, Overall. overall, I, I I think like it's going to be really a, a new paradigm for most of the actors here and this year, like and over the next two to five years, blockchain gaming, as we've seen it until today, might be very different already. It's not thing like it's already, everything has been defined, everything has been discovered, and the new leader of tomorrow has been established. There's so much space for a new innovation model through the empowerment of community using tokens and player owned economy that I, it's just the first or maybe the second wave if we think about it. And only by getting new entrants into this market, where new game studios, either from traditional existing game industry or people who got interested uh, through Web3, even if they didn't have a, a Background in gaming before can can this innovation sparkle and drive a, a larger ecosystem of people?
3: Yeah, I, I'd like to add something here. Uh, like uh, people have always been railing about the platform dominance and how like Apple and Google and Steam have been taking such a huge tax on the revenue of this industry. And now uh, with community-driven games like Ax Infinity, they they've gone up to. 3 million DAU with not being on the App Store, not being on the Play Store, not being on Steam. So they have shown that there's actually new alternative means for distribution that are happening. So I wouldn't really wait until the big platforms adopt it. So these games have shown the way that uh, distribution via communities is possible. Of course, guilds are like one of the parts of uh, that component of distribution. But yeah, rather than waiting for uh, Apple to adopt it, because the the business model for uh, uh, for player-to-player transactions while taking a small fee, usually under 5%, kind of threatens the business model of these app stores and the 30% right. tech, uh, take the take. So they wouldn't really allow these unless they want to really destroy the existing business model and adopt uh, a completely new one. Like, for example, OpenSea takes a 2.5% cut, right? So, yeah, I, I wouldn't wait for uh, these platforms to come kind of adopt it and basically just learn how to do community based marketing. And inevitably, some other platform will come up that will have these built up as first principles. And yes. I would just go with that or become your own platform rather than waiting for the existing walled gardens to, to adopt to it.
2: Yeah. I think one very interesting model that we're starting to see hints of that will be uh, good to watch this year is sort of like um, dual experiences, where uh, one, one game that does this currently is Thetan Arena. So you can download it on either major uh, app store and have a totally free-to-play experience. But if you separately have a web-based account, um, then you can have you know, a blockchain layer and ownable assets via that. But um, since it's all self-contained in the free-to-play model, it's uh, not violating in any visible way uh, any, any current, of current sensitive areas for Apple um, or Google. So I'd like to go next into um, discovery and, and acquisition of new players. Uh, it, it's seeming like the strategy for bringing these games to market is going to be uh, potentially quite different from traditional games and free-to-play games. Uh, for example, one consideration is you know we have cross cross-platform and what I would call like cross-economic. Uh, experiences. This is this is actually a big area of research for the uptick team right now. How do we measure performance when some of a player's actions may in a, be in a free-to-play economy and some may be in an on-chain economy uh, on web or in a downloadable client? It's a very fascinating problem to be working on. Um, so with this and all these other factors in mind, do you have any advice for uh, existing game publishers for adapting go-to-market strategies if they're moving into web three gaming? How might this be a little bit different? Um, Asif, I know you, uh, at least in the role where where we met when you worked at Facebook, you were working a lot with game developers on developing the go-to-market strategies. How do you think that some of these things might be different for bringing a Web3 game to market?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we've, uh, Gabby's done a fantastic job of talking about how community is such Mm -hmm. an important piece of this. I think, you know, I I think uh, the last, you know, console, it was all about brand, free to play. It, It was all about acquisition. Uh, and, and, and now Web 3.0, I think, has done a fantastic job of finding a new means in community. You know, the way that I would think about it is, uh, you know, build your brand so that way discovery is easier and then build the community around that discovery to make the cost of acquisition cheaper, you know, and, and really center around the community piece driving that, that whole strategy and, and it starts with discovery, right? Like, you know, if you look at Stardust, for example, four or five months ago, not many people knew about Stardust. And now that people understand what we do and what we're doing, like that is allowing us to have, you know, product market fit. And then we build a community and then that makes the cost of acquisition cheaper. And so I think, you know, focusing on building what your, what your game, what the utility is about, making sure that people understand that brand, building a really great community uh, around that with the help of guilds, also just with your internal efforts and then going out there and acquiring, I think that, that's how I would think about it. Um, and that's kind of how we're thinking about it at startups as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Gabby, I'd love to go to you here next. Um, you know, you you mentioned some thoughts on user acquisition earlier. I mean, can you share some more thoughts on, on how you believe uh, we optimally drive discovery for NFT-based or, or play-to-earn games, and how is this going to be tra- different from, say, traditional mobile user acquisition?
3: Yeah, so I think it's going to be very different in that you're you'll uh, be enabling communities, and I'll point to two examples here. Axie Infinity is the first where um, it grew a lot, where you had people who were. Uh, basically uh, recruiting their friends to join the community, not because they would benefit from it themselves, because everyone was der- deriving the benefit of play to earn. And the other is actually from Board 8 Yacht Club, which had really just excellent, built a brand from scratch. And uh, yeah, it's it's basically a billion dollar brand in in six months where people were really part of the community and you re- they really enabled the community to, uh, to remix, to be part of it. And now it's it's gone in and uh, uh, brought in famous people and celebrities and people feel like they're part of the same community as these other people. So serving the community first is really the way to go. It's not top down mass marketing. It's not performance marketing. It's how are you enabling the individuals to be part of your community and how are you serving them instead of the other way around? So it's really, a kind of different model from uh, the previous types of marketing. And it's the recognition of the individual and how you are serving them as part of the greater community.
4: Maybe, yeah. maybe one, one thing I'd like to add is like, it's actually also like very often when you run a company or a game studio, you talk about what the culture of my company, what do I want employee to stand for, what are my values. But when you apply this to community and you start to build the culture of your community, I think Axie Infinity is beyond community at this space. It's part of like the web free culture and same for BoardApe. And I hope that Sandbox will acquire the same similar statues at some point. And those communities stand for specific value of support, of creativity, of engaging, of doing things both in real life and uh, outside. Some might even think like this is the next generation of the social club and sometimes where like new world and new content will be born from. Like people compare the body of your club to the next Disney, but the community is creating the world, it's creating the places where that the character originated from so we're going a bit beyond video gaming here but i think this is all the potential it's all it is about
0: it, it, and i think the, the one point that gabby made about board board uh, bayc that's really important is is not only are people in the community but everybody's equal in the community and everybody's treated equal right you know if you look at the celebrities that are brought in versus the people that have been there for a long time that that openness that willingness to be a part of the community and treat everybody the same. It's really, really different. Like as somebody that's relatively new to the space, I always tell uh, the team, like everybody's super nice, everybody's super helpful, and everybody's really welcoming. And that's really a staple of the
4: overall like community in Web3. I'll go even beyond to the idea of supportive. Like we at Sandbox decided to acquire a large amount of collection of Yeah, We are known for having acquired one of the most expensive board aid. And made it the new mascot of the social hub so that anyone entering sandbox, the first thing they see, they actually they see NFTs from other games. Like what you're seeing behind me, it's actually NFT from many other communities and games and IPs and brands. Yeah. It's not sandbox. We did the same with acquiring many axes and teaching our team and our community to play Axie for themselves and for learning the culture of web 3 now we acquire the most expensive world of women because we want more diversity in the space and we have our new, I would call edgy new future mascot of the metaverse. And we'll keep doing that and that's how we support the ecosystem and that's a great spirit that I didn't find for the past 10 years I worked into the mobile free-to-play industry where it's been extremely competitive for everyone trying to like keep for himself information, except except one you know, country which was like Finland. The Finnish were very popular for sharing with themselves like the good tip, and that might be one of the reasons of their success into this uh this category. Yeah,
1: you, you guys mm-hmm. I, I was gonna Go say, something, say. In, so, yeah. something else to to add to this, which we've seen, which is really interesting. Is that I mean, as if you were talking about um, thinking about your brand first and then bringing the community, and and I think it's super interesting because you really want to have values that will sustain your your company and, and your culture. Sebastian was sort talking about the culture. But one of the things that we've seen is that the community, once you start like inviting a community to to build your culture with you, they're also becoming the vector of how this culture is being spread to new members coming in. And so one of the things that's that we love to say is that really your community is your North star, they are guiding where you are going. And it's not just, and so your values evolve as well, because you're starting with a set of things that you think you believe in, and then your, your community with you helps you shape it to the next level and helps you learn things that you didn't know about your company and your community itself. It's very interesting.
2: Yeah, I uh, actually want to thank you for the thoughts, Cedric. I, I want to wrap up this question actually um, with a, a question from the audience from from uh, Nebo that I think uh, ties to, um, Sebastian, you were talking about getting your team to all play Axie together, like onboarding them to the game. Um, and this is a question about onboarding because I think it's a, a big pain point um, in the current the current flows of blockchain games. So the question from Nebo is, uh, what do you think is the potential addressable market of blockchain gaming, given all the friction around onboarding and necessary tech savviness that comes with it? What are the necessary steps that blockchain developers need to, make, need to make it more accessible? And I'm sure we've all had this experience, everyone on this panel where, you know, we've tried to tell a friend about a game that's really cool. And they're like, cool, how do I play? And you take a deep breath and you're like, well, <laughs> You you buy some you buy something on, on Coinbase and you transfer it to an Ethereum wallet and then bridge to Polygon and then deposit in this wallet and um, how do we actually yeah. move past that and make and make onboarding
4: more seamless? Many people will tell you like yes wallet needs to be better and there will be more easier etc. My take on this is like actually little friction. Is important because it also makes a difference between what is web three versus what is web two. Like you understand you own your asset through your wallet. And we've been successful at at converting many users into the space. Sandbox has more than two million registered wallets, half of them registered mm-hmm. for the first time. They didn't add MetaMask. When we hire new employees or have candidates, the first thing we do is we send them if we send them send and we tell them install those games, play them. So they are forced to actually get the wallet to go for the purpose of like starting to embrace the culture of our company. And we, I think Guild do the same. With scholarships, they train new people who uh, are not necessarily tech savvy, far from that. And yet, because there is a greater incentive, they are going through that. So in a way, I, I do think like the addressable market is still like the 10 billion people in the world, even those who've never played games before, because the incentive, that play to earn and blockchain games offer are great enough for people to make the necessary effort of learning and conversion. And learning is a process sometimes a little bit hard, but the value you get from acquiring the knowledge, the empowerment you get from being more educated, I do think it's very well worth effort.
3: Yeah, this is a great point with Seb because with Web2, it was really your just your attention that's being monetized, right? So any friction would remove from that. But now getting a wallet, having your metaverse identity and being able to get jobs in the metaverse and earn ownership of the protocols or the games that you're using is such a great superpower that I think people are willing to go through the hurdle of learning what it takes to, to have a wallet, how to secure it, how to... to contribute being part of an open economy or a DAO where I earn ownership because the benefits are just so great that once people uh, actually get a feel of it, um, yeah, it's. I've only seen it one way from people who have gone really deep down the rabbit hole um, and yeah, there's no turning back.
2: Yeah, Gabby, thank you for sharing your perspective on that. I think your company in particular, YGG, has probably onboarded innumerable new people for the first time not just blockchain gaming, just first time anything blockchain experience. Is that a fair assumption?
3: Yeah, for sure. And with a lot of the people that we're working with, they're not particularly tech savvy people. They don't even have any money. We work with a lot of people in developing markets such as Philippines, India, Brazil. And in free to play, these are basically test markets. You go acquire them during beta and like you couldn't monetize them, so you didn't really care about them. Now in the community first model, these people matter and you wanna serve them too because they play an important part um, in the economy and in return, uh, these people receive some value out of it as well. Yeah, the
0: the, right. the the people in those countries are no longer, you know, worth 10 cents versus the dollar, you know, they're, they're, right. they're equal weight in the community and that's really important, you know, no, like like, yeah. uh, you, you look at like- That's my, a great call. Yeah, my my Web, my
4: very yeah, good. Web three is a great equalizer of all gaming market. Like it's finished. Like there is a top tier country versus uh, all those countries we 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 would ignore normally in the gaming industry.
2: That's a great point, Sebastian. So so guys, I think we could talk for hours more, but I realize we're like already at time here. Um, I think we need to go to the wrap up. And for the wrap up, I would love to get just uh, a single uh, wild prediction. Uh, from each of you for one thing we think might happen in the space of Web3 Gaming uh, in the year of 2022. And um, I don't know, Cédric, maybe, maybe you want to start here. Do you have a wild prediction for the space for this year?
1: Yeah, and I'm very excited about it. So I'm a big fan of esports, and, and I don't know if it's going to happen in 2022 or 2023, but I think that's we're gonna start to see a lot of overlap between play to earn and esports. And if you think about it right now, there's only 0.1% of esports players who actually earn an income with the game. They have to be pro players. The other other category is streamers. But the cool thing with play to earn is now you're gonna open like a a massive, a new category of esports players who can come in, in in the esports field and actually earn an income from the games they play. And that's going to be fantastic. And, and nobody
2: talk, nobody's talking about that. Right. Not just from sponsorships. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, Sebastian, would you like to go next? Do you have a wild prediction you'd like to share?
4: Yeah. Uh, I would say, like, wild prediction, like, the metaverse will be open to anyone. And, and, well, there will be thousands of play-to-earn experiences uh, for users to choose from.
2: That's a good one. Uh, Atif, do you want to go next? Share your prediction?
0: Uh, yeah. You know, I was going to say a bunch of stuff, but I think we went through it throughout the webinar. I'm going to say 2022 is the year of Stardust. Uh, watch out. Uh, that, is, that, is, <laughs> that is my bold prediction.
2: Love it. And Gabby, would you like to close us out with your wild prediction for the Web3 gaming space for 2022?
3: We're going to see at least one game with 10 million DAU uh, this year.
2: Yeah, mine mine is actually similar, which is I think we're going to see our first breakthrough mainstream game, and I guess I would add to that by saying, I do not think it will come from any legacy developer, I think we'll see it come from. uh, A developer born of the web three space and then I think next year we're going to see 20 clones of that game from every uh, mainstream game developer, but they will be uh, running a little behind so. Thank you all for joining uh, this was super fun um, and we have our guests are joining literally from around the globe today in all kinds of weird time zones so it's meant the world to us. Um, and thank you to the audience for the great questions I know we only got to a couple we're going to try to address a few more on the uptick blog we will also be posting this on the uptick podcast feed. So thank you, Atif. thank you Cedric Thank you gabby Thank you Sebastian this has been a wonderful time, thank you to all the guests. And again, this was brought to you by the team at Uptick.com, where we do mobile and Web3 games marketing and the technology to power that. So if you'd like to learn more about Uptick, you can reach us at UPPTIC.com. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you you so
3: much.